leading up through the late 90s into the dot-com bubble. And I was shocked and incensed that anybody could just put a dot-com in their name and it would cause their share price to go up. It was very strange. Why are you putting dot-com in your name would cause your company to be worth more? And you didn't have anything internet-related at all except the name. And I thought, well, this is an abnormal event in history. No, it isn't. Anytime we have new technology, it doesn't matter if we're talking plastics in the 1960s or the dot-com bubbles of the uh, bubble of the 19, late 1990s. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill all up with our English dead. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome back to another exciting, to us anyway, episode, our second hour of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and... Oh, Jeff McClure. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote Ann Rand at the risk of um, alienating all of the Democrat listeners. I recommend that you go back and read Ann Rand anyway. Democrat or Republican, not because she's always right, but because she has some tidbits of truth in there that are absolutely phenomenal. And one of the things that she said was that most people have n zero new thoughts. They just rearrange old prejudices. Mm, absolutely true. Which is why the current version of AI can have a, a conversation with you about your Apple technical support, because most people have the same technical support problems. They don't have to develop the ability to answer answer whether or not you should see an orthopedic surgeon about your knee. They've just got to figure out how to get your Apple product work, working. And they've got a lot of data on that. So this is a nice segue into one of the things I wanted to talk about this hour, um, the, the concept of AI washing. AI is a big word on Wall Street. And, you know, I came, I came into this business in the early 90s and really, really understood what was going on. And I put air quotes around understood leading up through the late 90s into the dot-com bubble. And I was shocked and incensed that anybody could just put a dot-com in their name and it would cause their share price to go up. It was very strange. Why, why were you putting .com in your name would cause your company to be worth more? And you didn't have anything internet-related at all except the name. And I thought, well, this is an abnormal event in history. No, it isn't. Anytime we have new technology, it doesn't matter if we're talking plastics in the 1960s or the .com bubbles of the, uh, bubble of the 19, late 1990s. Uh, just fill in the blank with uh, the real estate bubble in the in early uh, 2000s, and now we've got AI. So what is AI washing? We had ESG there for a while. That's the, the whole, how is it ecologically? How is it socially and governance? And let's give it a rating. And Morningstar brought that up, but then any, they didn't have a trademark on it. Anybody could give an ESG rating, and most people gave themselves an ESG rating. It's like grade your own paper business. Same thing's happening with AI. What we have right now, and this is true across any of the experts in the field, is not AI in a general sense. It is AI in that the best chess player in the world gets beat by a computer. But that computer can't go over and answer your calculus question. It can't then follow up with, a, hey, I think you need to see a doctor about the mole on your nose. It's only chess. That's a very specific intelligence. 
Most people in the humankind have a more generalized intelligence. That doesn't mean that they're they're particularly intelligent. Uh, I, I think nobody on the planet is particularly intelligent. Uh, it's certainly some of us get more intelligent in one field. We tend to think people that are intelligent in one field are intelligent in all fields. This is why you hear you know people that are experts in physics being asked about economics or people that are experts in the medical world being asked about physics. Um, you might have a little bit of crossover, but the, there are two different areas of expertise. Most of us don't know a lot about physics or about medicine. So if somebody knows about medicine, we assume, well, they must know about physics too because I don't know about that either. The machines are in that category right now. They're very specialized. And most of what they're doing is extrapolating based on human knowledge and most given answers. It doesn't mean they're right. Absolutely doesn't. Chat GPT or GPT-4, if you ask it about um, recent information, anything like... Have any members of the sitcom Friends actors died? Well, it'll answer no. Everybody's fine. Why? Well, because they haven't updated its library of knowledge yet. Um, if you ask it uh, to, to tell you what the working population of a country is, it's more likely to give you the population than the working population because it doesn't know the difference yet. The danger is that when somebody says, hey, we're an AI company and you buy them because they say they're an AI, it's the same as saying, hey, we make reins for a horse, but now we're doing it in plastic. Well, that may or may not be a good idea. And I'm saying that because this actually happened in the 1960s. Companies that say, hey, we're make, we're a tack company and you know, a lot of our leather was replaced by rubber in the past, so now we're going to get ahead of this and we're going to make our, our horse reins completely out of plastic. Well, that didn't last very long when the horses didn't like it and the people riding the horses realized this isn't a good – now we can't do that. The same thing happened in the dot-coms. Hey, we're an accounting firm and now we're going to do it online, but we don't have a website for it yet. and We actually don't know how we would get your papers – and receipts into any kind of digital format so that we could do it online. That took 20 years to get to a point where you can do taxes reasonably on online. So AI is in that spot right now. And we talked about that in the past, and I'll give you another representation. Why is it that AI right now is around these large language models and you get these chatbots? concepts of what AI is. The answer to that is because that's how it's being trained. It is like when you're typing in your smartphone and the smartphone is giving you the most likely next word. So you can choose it instead of typing it. How often does it get that right? Well, sometimes, a lot of times actually, when you start on the word, it'll give you a pretty good idea what it thinks that word's going to be and you can just select it. It's using an algorithm to say what's the most most used word that starts with these letters. And the large language model, it's saying what's the most likely next word and series of words based on that question. It isn't knowing that this is the correct answer. It is just the most often given answer. That's about as intelligent as most people are. Uh, so people say, well, that must be artificial intelligence. No, it isn't. It's just extrapolation of what most people do. Now, if you ask a human a difficult question 
they are likely, as likely, maybe more likely to give you a wrong answer than the, than the large language models out there, unless they look it up somehow. But even when you Google an answer, the first answers that you get may or may not be correct. They're just the most trafficked answer on the web. Large language models are that. It's like an intense search algorithm using language instead of a website, which is why Alphabet was the originator of this stuff. Their algorithms are what came up with it. And I know people out there that are saying, wait a minute, the Alphabet, how did they, how are they the original? The code that's being used by ChatGPT that is being funded by Microsoft came from an open source release by Alphabet. So this is where it comes back to search algorithms, we say most likely outcome when you go to push the mute button to mute yourself, that's a pretty normal status quo. But when you're already muted, you need to remember that. And that's something that's an extra variable that may not be part of the original thought. When you're talking about AI, if it's not part of the question, it may not look for that as part of the answer. It's, this is something that um, Kahneman won a Nobel Prize in economics. He's a psychologist. Um, one of the greatest additions that he gave to the world of behavioral finance and behavior in general was this concept of what you see is all there is. When you're taking a test and you have a question and the question on the test is a word problem and it asks you the question, most people use only the data in that question to answer the question with, which, of course, that's how you're trained to answer a question. But if you know a piece of data that changes the result in general, that's not listed in the question, you've been limited to what you see is all there is. And that is absolutely still the major problem in AI, in that it is only answering questions based on the question. General AI would understand the question enough to say that I don't have to just answer what you're asking, but rather what I think you're wanting the answer to. And that, that is a harder thing. So uh, Chair Ginsler of the SEC, who, by the way, is, is not very popular amongst the, the world in general, amongst the populace in general, because he's constantly cracking down on very popular things like crypto exchanges and so on. Now, the fact that it winds up with them being fraudulent enterprises and people going to prison in the process, um, and I've got some data on that to, to cover, means that they're doing their, their job. Um, so I'm going to use that as a segue, if you don't mind, because there's a Texas Ponzi scheme that just hit the news yesterday. A beef company. Beef company. Not a beef company. It's actually the name. Beef Co. Uh, is a Ponzi scheme. That's what the SEC is alleging. Um, what is it? Uh, there's a company named Agridime LLC out of Fort Worth, Texas, and they've been selling cattle contracts. And basically what they've been saying is that you don't have to do the work of owning the cow, but you get the benefit of selling the beef. And for the first several years that they were in business, they were actually buying cattle with the money that you were sending them in the contract. And at some point around 2021, they stopped buying cattle with that money and started paying back their original investors because they gave guaranteed annual returns in the contract. They promised investors 
returns between 15% and as high as 32%, period. We will give you the return is what they were saying. And they marketed the cattle contracts on the website as a way for investors to passively profit from owning cattle without having to do all the work. Well, the SEC has shut them down because they haven't been buying cattle for a while. They've instead been taking the money from the new contracts to turn around and just pay back the people that had the old contracts. And that's what's known as a Ponzi scheme. When you use new money to pay the first people because you spent the money that the first people gave you for something else. Um, So any profits that they've made are being seized and... Um, the SEC is alleging that at least $58 million in investor funds since December of 2022 was to pay returns on ex- existing investors instead of buying cows. Um, this is what the SEC is for. You don't have to like them. We don't necessarily like them or dislike them. We recognize that what they do is fundamentally important to having a trading environment. Why is the SEC involved? Why are they involved in a cattle company selling contracts? Because the contracts that they were selling fall under the term security. When you give a return that has nothing to do with any action that the investor takes, that's a security. If if a if a person says I will give you $100 and and you do whatever you want to do, but in the end I want a profit. That is, by definition, a security. Uh, And this goes into why so many of the crypto uh, stuff are securities. If you say, I'm putting money into this thing and and you're going to do whatever magic you do and that will give me a profit, that's a security. Anytime somebody else is doing something to engineer the profitability of whatever you invested in, that's a security. And if you think about when you buy a company, And they say, we will use your money to buy things and to sell things, and then you will get the benefit of that. That's a security. So heads up when you're buying things that don't even look like securities, do your due diligence. And this is the thing that is most important here is that most of the investors in this um, situation were in the below $10,000 investment area, which is which means that this is the this these are the people that the at most at most risk for for shysters because they can't spend eighty thousand dollars to do to hire an attorney and an economist to or a financial person to go in and do the research on the papers that that's that's not a good thing so that that's my um, yeah wrap up on weird Ponzi schemes it's a very strange one cattle i'm sure you've got some stuff to add there's no shortage of ponzi schemes at any given moment um one of the things i think is important to look out for and it it repeats itself over and over and over again is somebody you know somebody who goes to church with you or is in a club with you or somebody that you know personally who's begins to offer you some secret insider trading deal it's guaranteed you have a special access to some place where you can get a high rate of return guaranteed with no fear of losing anything and it particularly gets reinforced when other people have already done so as people you know it's called an affinity uh scam oddly enough it most often happens in churches and often the person that's selling the thing totally believes in it it's not like and, they're committing fraud. Somebody right. was fraudulent to them. But they, the key is some higher rate of return than people can get elsewhere and security. And they're letting you in on the inside deal. And it's, but you trust them because uh, you go to Sunday school with them or whatever. 
And and like Jake said, in many cases, the person who is selling it to you is just as ignorant as you are, but you don't know that. There are no shortcuts. There are no super insider deals. Matter of fact, I was looking at a portfolio yesterday, which is being run by a major Fortune 500 company on behalf of their, uh, it's a retirement plan being run uh, on behalf of their employees. And I looked at the returns inside that portfolio which is anything's going to be insider. I mean, the the executives who set this up are probably billionaires. And I looked at where you could, where I, where we could go, for example, as a peanut little investment advisory firm in Salado, Texas, and looked at the past five years, which is how long this thing has been in existence. And we can find plenty of places where funds that are available to us are available to you. Dramatically outperformed these privately managed accounts, sophisticated privately managed accounts that are being run by this Fortune 500 company. The reality is we're in a pretty much free market system. And because we're in a free market system, particularly with securities, if somebody is getting an unusually high rate of return, um, significantly higher than anybody else, the odds are they're doing something illegal. Now, there are exceptions to this. There are certain hedge funds that have gotten exceptionally high rates of return. But I can also tell you that if you don't have a minimum of $5 million, you can't even talk to them. So the chances, unless you have $5 million to invest and being willing to put it away take some risks and never and not ask for it back anytime in the next 10 or 15 years, the chances of getting an unusually high return because you got in on a deal that nobody else got in on are somewhere between slim and non-existent. It's, it's important to recognize that. Uh, it's kind of like greed is the enemy of growth. Uh, and, and over the years, I've seen many investors and been able to look at their portfolios where they didn't get exceptional annual growth. They didn't doing is to get into anything that would have qualified as a hedge fund. They just kept doing something mediocre, but consistent over a long period of time. And they have tremendous gains in their portfolio, not because they were insiders and made uh, wonderful decisions or because somebody got them in on a deal that nobody else knows about. These tremendous gains in their portfolio were because they persistently stuck with diversified, moderate investing over many years. And John Templeton has said it, and many other people have said it. It's not timing the market that makes you wealthy. It's time in the market. And I think it's crucial that we understand that. And it's crucial that you never forget it. And there, there is no get-rich-quick scheme that doesn't involve getting poor quicker. Agreed. Totally agree there. Um, getting rich quick can happen. We hear about it all the time. We hear about people winning the lottery or somebody doing really well in a new business. But the reality is that most of the time, that's not the way it happens. And even if you dig into those people that did really well in a new business, it's like a this band just hit big, uh, overnight success, except if you look at the 14 years of playing and dive bars that they did before that. It may have been an overnight success, but they worked really hard to make that overnight success, to go from rags to riches is the concept, and we know people do it. So what's the secret? And here's the deal. There isn't one. A lot, and the, the vast majority of the time, overnight success is luck. I'm going to give you an example of this. There was a study done on music that was used, it used South by Southwest's 10-year um, record of our official artists and a big chunk of their music. This is kind of a weird example because it's got a lot of complications but basically that's a lot of music it is tens of thousands of songs that's a lot you can't listen to all those especially over a three-month period which is when this 
study took place. They had a bunch of people that signed up to listen to this music. They had a, a, a website that they went to to listen to the music. What they didn't know is that the bunch of people were separated into five different microcosms of the same catalog of music. So the almost by definition, if you're in South by Southwest as an official artist, you're talented. You have to be or you wouldn't meet that criteria. You're good at what you do. There's tens of thousands of songs in this catalog, but they were separated into five groups. So the people that were listening on their website or the people that were separated. It's the same catalog, same songs. The thing that they got to see when listening to music was how many people in their group had listened to each song. And over the three-month period of the study, the, the people are listening to music, and who listens to what was greatly influenced by what had already been listened to. And all of the five groups, massive numbers of songs were never listened to by anybody. Why? Well, because they didn't get to it. There's tens of thousands of songs. What people listen to are the people are the things that other people have already listened to. And some people went through the catalog and tried to listen to everything. But most people wanted to find the ones that other people had already listened to a lot, because that usually means that it's a good song. So the end result of this is what's most important. Out of these five groups, the top 10 songs in each of those five groups had zero overlap. None of the five groups had the same of any of the top 10 songs. What does that mean? That these overnight sensations, these great hits, the top 10 songs in each of these five groups were completely different, totally due to luck. They're all good songs. And any of those 10 songs, when brought over to any of the other groups, would have been greatly popular. Overnight sensations. Talent is a must. You got to have that. But then luck plays a major role, huge role in the end result of what what happens here. Um, the overnight success. I mean, we all know people that are amazing musicians that never made it big, but other people made it big that weren't anywhere near as talented as the musician that we know. This is true in every investment scheme as well. Just because you have a great idea for a business does not mean that that business will do well, even if the great idea should do well. Elon Musk is a great example here. We look at him. He's the richest man in the world. People talk about this. There are multiple, multiple times in his career that he almost disappeared from public view because of great failures. PayPal was almost not purchased by eBay. PayPal is, you know, the PayPal mafia, Peter Thiel and, and Elon Musk, and there's a number of other names that made it big there. E eBay interviewed, there were about 10 big payment platforms at the time, big being pretty little compared to, to today. And eBay wanted a payment platform that wasn't Visa or MasterCard or a bank to take payments on their auction site. And they interviewed people at these 10 different locations, and they settled on PayPal. Why did they settle on PayPal? Mostly luck, because there, there were three different payment platforms that were just as good as PayPal. And they decided to go with PayPal. So then PayPal was purchased. Elon Musk gets a lot of money. This is great. Peter Thiel gets a lot of money. They go forward. Elon Musk now has hundreds of millions of dollars. And he said, I'm going to start a rocket company and I'm going to buy into this electric vehicle company. People talk about Elon Musk as a founder of Tesla. He wasn't a founder of Tesla. He never claims to be a founder of Tesla. 
He took over Tesla by buying the founders out. SpaceX, he founded. SpaceX almost disappeared off the map three different times. He spent every dollar he had. And if they hadn't had the success that they had in those moments, which in spacecrafts, luck is a major component on whether or not a rocket flies or blows up especially at the beginning. And he got lucky, but he was one day away from bankruptcy multiple times in his career. And now we look at him and we say he's a brilliant man. He is. Don't get me wrong. The talent is there. You got to have the talent to have that kind of success. But luck is a major component. And when you hear about something that says guaranteed success, period, you've removed that. That means it's fake. That's, that's Madoff territory. This is Ponzi scheme area. And I've been talking a long time and we've got to play some commercials. I just wanted to reiterate and iterate again and then reiterate again after that. Anytime you have a guaranteed success opportunity, it is not as guaranteed as you think it is, period. Luck is a component in here. And luck just means who's listening or looking at the right moment. And we're about out of time for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we've got to give some disclosures before we get started. We've said the name of the program is The Personal Wealth Coach, and not coincidentally, that is also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. The two people speaking on the air are the people that uh, give advice through that firm, but we can't give you advice on the air or in a podcast or in any other broadcast format because of privacy issues and lots of other stuff. So what are we doing if we're not advising? We're educating. And just because the firm's registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC somehow thinks that we are anointed or um, somehow given a seal of approval or any of that stuff. They don't do that. They are a regulatory authority and we're required to tell you that in case we say something stupid. Nope, scratch that. We say that plenty of times. We'd be barraging the SEC uh, in case we say something fraudulent or misleading in a way that could cause people to lose money. Um, let's see. We don't pay for this radio program. More on that later. Uh, we do pay for advertising about the radio program. More on that later as well. Um, and you've got a disclosure. We're going through the disclosure at warp speed today. Well, the information we present to you in this educational radio program or internet program, as the case may be, has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. However, we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. We do, however, warranty and guarantee that all unsaid information on the radio program is incomplete. There we are. Unless your intention was to simply be silent. And that's not ever complete. So it is incomplete. <laughs> if you would like to contact us off the air, we have... Uh, email addresses, Jake and Jeff at tpwc.com. We have a webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com, tpwc.com, where you can listen to our radio shows going back a long ways. You can listen, you find links to our podcast. You can find those on Spotify, Apple, anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, if you want to contact us, those email addresses are there. You can also contact us through the contact form on the webpage. Um, you can read our newsletter there. We send out that newsletter every Friday. Um, as a reminder, this is the last month of our radio program. We're moving totally digital. Um, and we thank you very much for 27 years of listenership. We appreciate you all. Thank you very much for listening to The Personal Wealth Coach. We appreciate you.